Thank you, Praise Team, for reminding us that we will overcome because He overcame. Amen? And, uh, and by the, the blood of the Lamb. And you know, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. So if you have your Bibles with you, um, we're going to go back to the he- Heroes of the Faith series. And we're in Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to be reading in verses uh, 29, or 27 through 29. And I've enjoyed being, uh, being able to talk about Christmas. That's always great. I love, love uh, Christmas time and New Year's. And, but I'm also been, I've been chomping at the bit to get back to this Heroes of the Faith uh, series. You know, I love, I love this. And today we're going to take a look at the second half of the life of Moses. And, uh, and, and look at what God did and how God overcame now, but before we do, I, let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought to yourself, you know, you, re, you read all these Bible stories, and there's just some fantastic stories in the Bible. And you read these, and, and you ever thought, now, why doesn't that ever happen to me? Anyone else ever, ever have asked that question? Like, you know, why don't I take on the giants and, and win, right? Or, or how come I can't be thrown into a lion's den and survive? Now, maybe we, we wouldn't want that one so much, but... Uh, or, or, or why can't I be swallowed by a great fish, right? And, 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 and then later convert an entire city to the Lord, right? Um, or, or why doesn't God just part the, the Red Sea for me? Uh, anyone else here ever ask that, that question? I mean, you read the stories in the Bible and say, why don't I see exactly what I, what I see in these pages lived out right in my own life? Anyone else brave enough to raise a hand or, or give a little nod? Okay, so a few of us. And, uh, and today I want to answer that question. I want to answer the question of why it's not happening to you, why it's not happening uh, to us, and also how, to show you from Scripture how it can happen to you. So, Pastor Dave, you're biting off a little more than you can chew, I think, right? I mean, that seems uh, a, little, a little beyond, a little impossible, but you know what? If, if you think that you haven't really read Hebrews 11, 27 through 29. So let's read those. Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verses 27 through 29. We read this. By faith, he, talking about Moses, <clears throat> by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. And by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. See, here in, the, in these three simple verses, we find three more uh, situations where it says, by faith, Moses did something. And, and we find three of those. First, by, by faith, he forsook Egypt in verse 27. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood in verse 28. And by faith, he crossed over the Red Sea. And so uh, when, you, when you look at these and, and, and you realize this, this kind of walks you through the life of Moses, the second half of the life of Moses. And so what does it mean when it says that he forsook Egypt. This is talking about that point in his life. You might remember that, that though he was raised in Egypt as an Egyptian, he was raised uh, in the house of Pharaoh, there was something in his heart being, being raised by a Hebrew woman that, that was his own mother. There was something about that that drew his heart to the Hebrews. And when he saw the oppression that they were suffering, it, it got him in the heart, right? And, and there was one point where he decided to take action and he saw a, a, an Egyptian master beating a Hebrew slave. And you, might, you know the story, right? And so what did he do? He went and he rescued the Hebrew slave and ended up killing one of the Egyptians. And so here, Mo- Moses, in his first attempt, his first attempt to rescue the Hebrews, he tried to rescue one, and it didn't go so well. 
But you might remember the rest of the story. Uh, then the next day he sees some Hebrews fighting amongst each other, and he mentions to one of them, it's like, why are you doing this? And, and, uh, and he says, well, what are you going to do, kill me like you killed the Egyptian? And all of a sudden he knew the word was out. And the Pharaoh found out, next thing you know, he is fleeing to the other side of the Sinai Peninsula on foot, running away from Pharaoh because he attempted to rescue one Hebrew slave. So Moses didn't start off so well as a hero in the sense. His first, his first attempt was a, a major flop, wasn't it? And so, so the, the idea of him forsaking Egypt comes when we find him at a burning bush And we find him talking to the Lord, and the Lord says, I want you to go back to Egypt. And he was afraid of Egypt. And and so that's what the the scripture says, verse 27. When he forsook Egypt, and, and, and and he did not fear the wrath of the king. This is what he's talking about. The king, the pharaoh, wanted him for murder. The king wanted to kill him and make, uh, make an example out of the one who would try to free the Hebrew slaves. Imagine uh, what, it, what, what happened from there. That you go a little further in, in, in the life of Moses and you see that, that he did go back and he did talk to the Pharaoh. And we'll talk a little bit more about that today. But it, through the series of the plagues, that last plague uh, was the, the, pl- the, the plague of the death of the firstborn. And, and so the, this is talking about the Passover that he asked them to do where they put blood on the doors. And we'll talk a little bit about that. And then the crossing of the Red Sea. This was the great exodus. This is what the whole book of Exodus is named after. Where they exited Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea. And God in, his, in this miraculous way opens up the entire sea. They cross on dry land. The, the Egyptians follow them in the greatest military blunder of all time. And they, they follow them. And God just swallows them up, right? And, I mean, so this is, the, this is the, the part of the story that we're talking about today in the life of Moses. And, and so, you know, you, you see this and you read about all this and, and you say, I want to have those Red Sea experiences. I want to have those. But, but we fail to realize sometimes that before we get to step three, there was a step one and a step two. There were things that God required of Moses, things that that worked that needed to be done in the life of Moses before God considered him ready to experience the Red Sea experiences. Does that make sense? And so we we have to dig into these. And so we're going to look into both of these and uh, and see what it it was that Moses had to do to get to the point where God would give him that Red Sea experience. And so step number one, uh, we find verse 27. Let's look at it a little closer this time. By faith, he, Moses, forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So step number one, uh, he forsook Egypt. Moses forsook Egypt. But what does that mean? I think it means two things in in context. Uh, When we look at this, the number one thing that it means, obviously, is that he had to drop the fear of man. Because what does it say? It says, by faith he forsook Egypt. And then to describe that, it says, not fearing the wrath of the king. The king in this case being Pharaoh. And so we have to understand the, the historical context to, to really grasp this. Uh, but he did not, he, was, he, would, he had to come to a point where he did not fear man. But that was not so easy to do in Pharaoh's case, right? I mean, if we even look at uh, archaeology today, everywhere we go in Egypt, what do you find? You find these, these larger-than-life statues of Pharaohs. You, you see all of, all of this, 
this impressive culture. You, you see the pyramids and the sphinx and you, and you see. And Pharaoh himself had the task of convincing the world at that time that he was God incarnate. God in the flesh. And he succeeded. I mean, think about that. This is an impressive culture by any standards. You can go, go back in time and think of it from that perspective. This is an impressive culture. And the Pharaoh was considered God in the flesh. And so God is telling him, I want you, Moses, to go back to this Pharaoh and tell him that all of your free labor is mine. And you need to let them go. I mean, put yourself in his sandals for a moment, right? And, and what he was called to do. This, idea, this, this fear of man was, was, not going to be so, was not going to be so easy. So when we consider that, I mean, here now, God, as you fast forward to where Moses is, Moses now is speaking uh, to the Lord through a burning bush. I mean, he's across the Sinai Peninsula. He's, he's become a shepherd because he wants a life of anonymity, right? A life where he's not going to be found. No one knows who he is. And he, he, he goes off and he's raising sheep in a place called Midian. It's a small town in, in the, on the far side of the desert. And there's this, this burning bush, right? There's this burning bush. Actually, we call it the burning bush. We shouldn't call it the burning bush. Instead, we should call it the non-burning bush. Because it was a bush that was on fire, but it didn't burn up, right? It was, it was, it was something miraculously. And, and he goes there, and, and, the, and, and God is telling him, Moses, I want you to go back. And I don't want you to fear Pharaoh. I don't want you to fear Egypt. I want you to go back. And you tell him, that all of, 100% of his slave labor is to go free because I say so. Have you put yourself in his shoes? You know, would it be that easy? And I find it interesting that in, in Hebrews, it doesn't mention anything about his lack of faith. It doesn't mention anything about his struggle. It only mentions that he had faith and he chose not to fear the king. He chose not to fear him. But we know the story. In fact, if you keep a finger in Hebrews 11, we can go back to Exodus chapter 3. And uh, I'm not going to give a whole message on, on this story, but uh, uh, maybe some other time. But I just want you to look at some of the words that Moses said to show his struggle, right? And so this is, uh, this is what we find in chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. We read this, Come now, therefore, this is God talking to Moses. He says, And I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out, to, out of Egypt. Now, does this look like he wasn't fearing the Pharaoh? No, he was fearing the, he was fearing the Pharaoh. Who am I to do this? I mean, I'm wanted, I'm, I'm wanted for murder there. I tried to rescue one Lord, and it didn't go so well, right? And, and, uh, and so why on earth are you asking me to go? Um, and God gives an answer to that. But we find in verse 13, these are the words of Moses. He says, Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I... Come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Lord, this isn't just a question about Egypt. This is a question about Israel. I mean, they're not going to believe me. I, mean, I tried to rescue one of them, and they didn't even appreciate it. They told them. They ratted me out. I mean, what am I, what am I supposed to say to them? Uh, and, and God gives a great answer. And uh, we'll go into that some other time in a, some other sermon. Go ahead to chapter 4, verse 1, in the same conversation that Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me, 
or listen to my voice. And suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. And so God gave him a great answer. And, and yet there's doubt. He, can you get the, the, the feeling that at this point Moses is looking for an excuse not to go to Egypt? It's exactly what we find. In fact, in verse 10, same conversation. Then Moses said to the Lord, oh, oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since I, uh, you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. I don't have the skill set, Lord. I, don't, I can't speak in front of people. Anyone here ever, uh, if you're honest enough, say, um, I, I am afraid to speak in public? All right, yeah, a lot of you. Uh, and probably more because there are some that are so afraid to raise their hand in public. <laughs> Let's be honest. And, and, so, I mean, and so this is what Moses is saying. And then we, we even go forward a few, a few more verses after God had answered every question, everything on Mo, every concern that Moses had, Moses ends up by saying, but he said, oh, Lord, oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. Lord, just send somebody else. I'm out of excuses. Send somebody else. Now, this doesn't sound like a person who did not fear Egypt, did not fear the king, did not fear Pharaoh. He struggled with it. By the way, I, I, that's an encouragement to me because I look at heroes of the faith and I think, wow, I mean, they're courageous, right? I could never do that. And then I start reading the stories about them and I realize, wait a minute, I, I can relate to this guy. I can relate to that guy because they have failures like me. But God allows them and takes them and builds their faith to the point. Because in the end, in the end, what do we know about Moses? After all of those struggles, after all of the, the hemming and hawing, where did he end up? He ended up standing before Pharaoh and saying, Yahweh says, you have to let his people go. Didn't he? I mean, we know the story. He did it. And, and so at some point, uh, he chose not to fear Pharaoh, and he chose to fear God himself. But when you think about it, why the struggle? Why so much struggle? Here he is in the, in the physical context of the burning bush. He's talking with the creator of the universe, and he's afraid of Pharaoh. Think about that. He's afraid of Pharaoh, even though he's talking to a bush that shouldn't, I don't know about you, but bushes have never talked to me, right? Um, it's it's in, the, in the presence of the supernatural presence and power of God, and yet he still struggled with the fear of man. It is a, it is a struggle. Um, but in the end, he went. He left his lifestyle of anonymity, where he could have continued raising sheep, he could have had all, all that he needed on his plate every day. He could have had everything that he wanted. But instead, he did choose to go. Um, and, and it makes sense. Um, and how did he do this? I mean, how did he, when you think about it, the answer is really found in verse 27 right there. It says, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. How did he do that? For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. There had to come this point then where, where Moses said, I'm not going to trust in the man whom I can see, but I'm going to trust in the God that I can't see. 
And, and that was a, a, a key turning point for him. Uh, so we look at what it means what to forsake Egypt for Moses. That meant that he had to drop the fear of man. He had to no longer fear, fear Pharaoh. But it also meant that he had to trust in a God that he could not see. And you know the scriptures. It's all through the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. Wisdom begins when we begin to fear the one that we can't even see. Now we see evidence of God, right? We, I mean, you have to be blind to not see the evidence of God all around us. But, but we don't see God. And so it's very difficult for us as, as human beings because we tend to trust in the things that we can see. Do, do we not? And it's really a trust in ourselves. If I see it, if I understand it, then I get it, then okay, then I'll believe in it. But if I don't see it, then I'm not going to believe it. And that's a trust in ourselves, which is also a type of fear of man. But at some point in the life of Moses, and at some point in our lives, if we want to experience what God has for us and the victories that God has for us, we have to learn to quit fearing the people around us and start fearing God. And we have to start fearing the one that we can't see when instead of, instead of focusing on all the people that we can see. And that's, that, that's really the lesson number one of two lessons today. If we get these two lessons, I think God will do amazing things with us. Number one, if you want to experience the Red Sea victories in your life, you have to stop fearing people and start fearing God. And, and Edward T. Welch uh, is, a, is an author, and he wrote a book called When People Are Big... And he can't even read it because the way he's got it up here. But it says in the in the uh, uh, in the under the magnifying glass, the Spanish word. I was thinking loop. Uh, when people are big and God is small. And in that book, uh, he writes this. He wrote, "However you put it, the fear of man can be summarized this way: we replace God with people." Instead of, biblically guiding, uh, instead of biblically guided fear of the Lord, we fear others. Isn't that what we do? Uh, we, we, we put others in place of God. And, and here, Moses was struggling with that. God was telling him to do something, but he was fearing Egypt, fearing the Israelites, fearing what people would think of him, instead of doing what God wanted him to do. And, and at some point, we have, to, we have to come to that point. You know, we have, there are several different names for fear of man, several different uh, ways of talking about it. Um, sometimes we call it people-pleasing. You ever say, well, I'm just kind of a people-pleaser. You know, uh, that, that's, that's just a euphemism for fear of man, isn't it, when you think about it? Um, how about the words peer pressure? And we talk about pressure. When we think of peer pressure, we think of adolescents, right? We think of teenagers and peer pressure to take drugs or this or that. But if, if, you, if, you, if you felt the presence of peer pressure as a teen, I guarantee you feel it as an adult, right? How, how many of us would say, no, there's no peer pressure at work. There's, I've never felt peer pressure. No one would put their hand up for that. We all do. Um, but that's it's fear of man. Why? Because you're tempted to sometimes to do something that would not please God, but you're afraid of what of what people will think of you and, and you do that. Sometimes even just being, we call it shyness, right? Or, dare I say, even afraid to speak in public, right? What's the root of all of that? Well, I'm afraid of what people might think, right? I'm afraid I might say things incorrectly and then people will look down on me. And, 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 uh, and by the way, pastors are not exempt from the fear of man, right? Uh, it's, it's true. Or it can show up in being overcommitted at work, 
not every time someone's overcommitted at work, but, uh, but um, if you can't say no because of what you think your boss might think of you, right? Uh, you know, some, some of us might get nervous about what we wear, right? Nervous, oh no, I can't, if I go to this event, I have, that's not my problem because I just don't care what I wear, right? But, but for some people, that's a big deal, right? That's a big deal. Um, or have you ever been upset because someone's taken the credit that you deserved and they gave it to someone else? Has that ever just driven you crazy inside? Because, well, I did most of that work and they're thanking him. Anyone else ever been there? This is fear of man. This is fear of man. If, if self-esteem is a, is a recurring theme for you, chances are that your life revolves around what other people think. Uh, you reverence fear uh, of their opinions, really. You, you need them to, to buttress your sense of identity and well-being. You need them to fill you up, and that's not right. And so we wonder why, why we don't get to those points where God is doing these great things and opening up seas for us. And it's because we're living in such a way to be, to be as, as non-impactful as possible because we don't want to make any waves. And we, and we live like, well, I don't want to hurt this person. I don't want, I don't, I don't want them to know that I'm a Christian because then they'll make I don't Whatever it might be, even in our witnessing, we fear men more than we fear God. And I think we would be so much more bold in our witnessing. In, in the same book, uh, this, is, this is what uh, Mr. Walsh uh, said. He said, the problem is clear. People are too big in our lives and God is too small. The answer is straightforward. We must learn to know that our God is more loving and more powerful than we ever imagined. Yet this task is not e- easy. Even if we worked at the most spectacular of national parks or the bush in our backyard started burning without being consumed, or Jesus appeared and wrestled a few rounds with us, we would not be guaranteed a persistent reverence of God. Too often our mountaintop experiences are quickly overtaken by the clamor of the world, and God once again is diminished in our minds. The goal is to establish a daily tradition of growing in the knowledge of God. You know, we've got to come to this point where, where we realize that God is big and people are small. And that's very difficult because God is invisible and people we see, right? And so this is a very counter-human nature. But this is, this is step one, is it not? It's if you want to the, experience the Red Sea, the, then you've got to stop fearing people and start fearing God. And how do we do that? Well, we remind ourselves of the invisible God. We remind ourselves of the things that we can't see in the moment. We remind ourselves that the same God who, who, who did cause the Israelites to cross the Red Sea is the same God that's in control of my life, right? And the same God who, who in the same power, the creator of, of the universe. You know, in, in verse 27 there at the end, it says, for he endured as what? As seeing him who is invisible. In other words, Moses had to visualize God being right with him. And so when Moses was going up before Pharaoh, he had to go as if he could see God right next to him, as if he could see the invisible God. And then all of a sudden it doesn't seem so threatening. Does that make sense? And when we realize and recognize the power and the presence, as we sang about, of the great I am, well, then, then Pharaoh doesn't seem so intimidating. Right? I mean, when you think about it, 
how did things end up for Pharaoh? I mean, if we go skip back to verse, uh, skip ahead to verse 29, it says, By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, how did it go for them? They were drowned, right? They were, they were drowned. And so the, the, I think we have to recognize and remember that the very people we fear, I don't know who it is in your life, maybe it's a boss, maybe it's a relative, or, uh, or whatever it might be, but the very people that we fear the most, guess what? God eats people like them for breakfast, doesn't he? I mean, think about it. This is the Pharaoh. This is the God of, of in, God incarnate of the greatest civilization on the planet at the time, and and God just says, "All right, wait, it's time to time to go back." It takes out their army like that. I mean, think about that. I mean, the 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 people we fear they don't hold a candle to the all-consuming flames of God. Amen. And so. And so we have, to, we have to grasp that. We have to say So if we want to uh, experience, if we want to experience Red Sea victories, we've got to stop fearing man and we've got to start, uh, start fearing God. But that's only half the battle. In verse 28, we find the second, uh, the second step. We read this. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. What's he talking about here? Um, uh, he's talking about the, uh, the first Passover. So uh, we look at uh, step one was to, he, he forsook e- Egypt. Step two, he kept the Passover. Now this goes back to the, the narrative of the ten plagues, as we mentioned before. And, uh, and really, the ten plagues were just an answer. It was God responding to a question. In fact, if, if, you're, if you have a finger in Exodus, uh, let's go to chapter five. Just read the first two verses. We read this. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Let me just stop there for a moment. This is the success of of Moses right here. As much as he feared Pharaoh, here we find him standing before Pharaoh and saying, There's a God named Yahweh, and he wants his people back. He did it, right? He did it. And uh, he, he succeeded in that. Then verse, verse 2. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. I don't know about you, but I almost laugh when I read this. Because here's this man, just a human being, as fragile as all of us, mortal as any one of us, and here he is and says, Who is Yahweh? That's, where, that's the Hebrew word for the Hebrew name for God, where it says, Lord, there it's his name, Yahweh. Who is Yahweh that I should obey him? See, in his mind, he's thinking of himself as a God incarnate, and he looks at Yahweh as, well, that's some desert God, right? From Midian or something. He had no idea that he was talking about the creator of everything. And he says, Who is he that I should obey? And God, God answers. Right? God answers with, with the plagues. It's like, oh, you worship all these Egyptian gods? Let me show you my power over those gods. And he does, and he begins a series of plagues showing his power over all of them. And, and, uh, and, and the last of which was the death to their firstborns. That included, by the way, the next God incarnate, Pharaoh's firstborn son. And God, during this time, gave some special instructions. I, I want you to, to skip ahead um, to Exodus 12, verses 1 through 7, and we'll look at what those instructions were. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses 
and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be your, the, the first month of the year to you. Notice this was... This is the New Year's event for them. In fact, their, their calendars at this point, the, the Israel calendar was based on this date. So it was instead of um, A.D. like we have now, it was A.E. after the Exodus, right? After uh, the, the Passover. Verse 3, we read, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to his house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor uh, next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. That's pretty significant, right? Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, and you shall take it from the sheep or from the goats. It goes on to say, now you will keep it until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. And so you know the story of the Passover from there. And so, the, so God said, you take this lamb that is without blemish. I don't think Moses understood all the significance of everything that that lamb represented. But he knew what obedience meant. And he knew, uh, he knew to follow the directions of the Lord. And that's exactly what he did. And so when you think about you know, Moses keeping the Passover, what does this mean? It means that Moses had to put his faith in the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ. I say, wait a minute, Pastor Dave, I, I may not know Bible history very well, but I know that Christ is in the New Testament, right? And Moses is, is all the way in the Old Testament. And so, you know, but I don't think that Moses grasped all of it. But I want us to know that this picture, that what Christ, or what God was asking Moses to do, was a picture foretelling of Jesus Christ. In fact, when we read in, in, uh, uh, in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, this is what we read. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with what? The precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Do you see what he's getting at? It's all the way back in the book of Exodus when, when they were asked to sacrifice a lamb and, and the last Passover, this was a representation of the forgiveness of sins that we cannot earn for ourselves. We can only be earned through what Jesus Christ was going to do by sacrificing himself, a substitutionary, we call it, sacrifice for us because he did it in our place. And, and so we have to come to this point where, where we have to humble ourselves and accept that the, the gift of salvation. And that has to come through the blood of Jesus Christ, not through anything in and of ourselves. Does that make sense? And I think this is important because, you know, there are two ways to overcome the fear of man that we see people attempt anyway. Uh, and, and we know that we can't have these great victories if we're fearing other people. We know that. We've already learned that. But there's the two different ways. There's what I call the Egypt way. And then there's the Moses way, uh, uh, the way of Moses. But in the Egypt way, the, the basic idea is to say, well, I will not fear other people. Why? Because I am superior. Right? This is the, that's the way of Egypt. That's the way of Pharaoh. Uh, to say, I'm not going to fear other people because I'm going to exalt myself. You know, as, as he beats his chest. You know, I'm, I'm Pharaoh. I'm God incarnate. Right? And that's the way of Pharaoh. And so he, he, he did not fear other people. 
because he feared himself. That's not the way of salvation. The way of salvation, the, the way of Moses is very different. In fact, in Hebrews 11:29, we read, By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. In other words, you can try the Egypt way, and you can make yourself a god in your culture if you want to, but you're still going to end up dead in the water. But literally and figuratively. <laughs> and we, and, and we, we see that in, in, the, in, in the example here with with the Egyptians. They drowned. But this, this way of the Passover, this way that, that is described here, I, I'll call it the way of Moses, the way that God called that is very different. Instead of that, it's, it's I will not fear other people. Why? Because I fear the invisible God. I fear the invisible God. And so, and so God is saying, this is the way. This is the way for us to escape the wrath of God. It's through putting the blood on the doors of a lamb, one for each household. And, okay, then Lord, if that's what you say, we're going to do it. And he followed it. And he followed it. And that was a beautiful picture of, of what was going to happen one day. And remember, they even started a sacrificial system based off of the, the Passover incident. But then we, one day that all stops. Why? Because the sacrifice, Jesus Christ... The Lamb of God came, and he sacrificed himself for you and for me. And if we don't have that as our starting point, I don't care how much you believe in yourself, eventually you will die just like everybody else. No matter how much, say, oh, but I'm, you know, master of the universe, you know, and you can beat your chest all you want, right? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Bottom line, here's, here's what we have. Bottom line, if we, if we want those... Red Sea experiences. I, I would have to say, some of you cannot cross the Red Sea because you've never forsaken Egypt. You haven't, you haven't done it yet. You've never forsaken Egypt. And what I mean by that is, is you value and you fear the opinions of people more than you fear the opinions of God. And you're allowing that to, to change the way you, you live your life. And you're not living a life in faith, but you're living a life in trust of yourself and in trust of, of your own mind. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, uh, you, you all know it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not where? On your own understanding. And so that's what we do. And I think many of us are in that situation because we, we have refused to take steps of faith. And then we wonder why God no, never opens up the sea for us. I'm telling you today, put your faith in the invisible God the one who destroys all other gods with plagues, and the one who destroys even their followers by drowning them in the depths of the Red Sea. I'll tell you what, you, 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 you've got to keep verse 29 in mind when you're living in verse 27 and 28. You've got to keep 20, verse 29 and realize there is a God and he wins. I can't see him, but he's here with me. And that will give you the boldness to stand before your Pharaoh, to stand before, uh, before, before your Pharaoh, whoever that might be, knowing that you're standing up and sticking up for God. But yet so many times as Christians, we can't even witness without almost apologizing for being Christian. Because right? we're afraid. Well, we don't want to come across. and We know how people talk about Christians on TV. And we know. Forget what people say. Forget about it. Right? They're, they're going to drown in the end if they don't repent. Focus on God. Remember the invisible God. And I would say that some of us uh, in this room, we're not experiencing those Red Sea victories either because, because we haven't kept the Passover. And what I mean by that 
is that you're trusting in yourself for salvation and you've never come to that point where you've trusted in the blood of Jesus Christ for your salvation. Say, Pastor Dave, we're in a church. This is a Sunday morning in a church. Uh, of course, everybody here is saved. I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I believe that there are people in this room right now that we may never see in eternity. Why? Because they've never come to that point where, where they've humbly come to the Lord and said, Lord, it's not me. I don't deserve salvation. But because of what Jesus Christ did, I will humbly accept that sacrifice and accept the gift of salvation. To do that, you get rid of all pride. And it's a humbling thing. But I'll tell you what, it is so, so worth it. I mean, that's where, who knows what God will do. I don't know, it may not have you literally cross the Red Sea, but I guarantee you, he will give you victories, and he will do great and mighty things through you. I mean, we look at the result for, for Moses, who, who put his faith in the invisible God instead of, his, instead of fearing Pharaoh, and he put his faith in obedience to, to the sacrifice, and he put his faith in everything that God said, and God took him even though he failed to rescue one person in his own strength, he led the entire nation of Israel out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, on dry land, and not only did that, destroyed the enemies in the process. God can do that for you too. I want to close with just two questions for self-reflection here. Number one, have you ever really placed your faith in the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross in your place? And I don't want anyone to leave here today without knowing for sure that you've made that decision. And so in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity when we're going to sing, come just as you are. And, and if that's you, you can do one of two things. You can come forward and come talk to me, or you can, you can go to the back. Either way, we have uh, some men and women. They have a little lanyard that says, ask me, and they can show you briefly in just a few minutes. They can show you from God's word how you could know for sure that you're trusting in his sacrifice for, sal- for salvation. And, uh, and so I make that invitation to you. And secondly, what are some ways that you fear man when you should be fearing God? I think if we're honest, every single person in here that is a believer, if you're honest, would have to admit that we are man fears. And we fear men in one area or another, myself included. Well, it's, you know, it's... It's tough to speak in front of people sometimes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not that, that hard. But you know, what's, you know what's even more difficult? Preaching to yourself for an entire week. And that, that I've had to do this week. I'll tell you what. Uh, this steps on my toes. But you know what? I want, I want the Red Sea victories too, don't you? I want to be there. I want to see what God's going to do. And, and, and so uh, I'm making that commitment today to fear God and not fear men. I'm going to invite you to make that same decision with me today. And if, that, if the Lord's working in your heart in a moment when we sing, I invite you to just come forward and just pray that to the Lord. And just say to the Lord, Lord, starting now, I'm going to disregard what, what your enemies say. And I'm going to trust in you. And let God be big. And let people be small. Amen? Let's close the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, in just a moment, I, we're going to have an opportunity to respond to these three great verses that you put in your scripture, that you inspired through your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts right now, and that if you're moving in our hearts, I pray that if there's anyone in here right now that does not know you personally, that this would be the day 
that this would be the day that they accept your sacrifice as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And Lord, I also pray right now for every believer in this room to make the same decision that I'm making, that that we would let you be big and people be small. And so Lord, I just pray that that today as we walk out of here, every single one of us would be able to walk out of here with our heads high, with confidence, knowing that you're guiding us, not because of how great we are, not because we're like Pharaoh, building ourselves up and self-inflating ourselves with, with lies about how great we are, but because we trust in you, the invisible God. And Lord, I pray that we would recognize, as Moses did in the darkest times and the most difficult circumstances that he goes through, recognize that you were right there with him, that he could stand with confidence and boldness. I pray, Lord, that we would live that way too, as Moses could be this example of faith for us. I know he's an example of us in his struggle, but I pray he would also be an example for us in his victory. So I pray that we would make those decisions right here, right now as we sing. I pray this in Christ's name.